Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there. And welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussein. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this episode on the whole seasons uh, on all the major audio platforms. And if you're watching this via YouTube, remember to click subscribe on the Five Pillars YouTube channel. Today's guest is someone who was initially scheduled in to come on earlier on in the season, but due to his vast pursuits of knowledge, his very busy schedule, and sometimes my own uh, busy life, sadly, we could not have made this happen earlier, but I believe now was the right time. He is a senior student of knowledge, he's an imam in Ellsbury, and he is a social commentator, uh, and that is none other than Ustad Yasal Hanafi. Salaamu Alaikum Ustad. Wa Alaikum Salaam Wa Rahmatullahi Wa Barakatuh. Jazakallah Khairan for coming on. Jazakallah Khairan for inviting me. Um, we were supposed to have done this earlier, yeah. but I believe today the time is right. How are you? I'm okay. How are you, sir? I'm well, Alhamdulillah. Good. I want to kick off today's podcast mm-hmm. uh, with a quick fire session. Okay. Now, the idea of the quick fire session is basically kind of just get warm up for the conversation ahead. Yes. Now, I'm aware that you are versed in Hanafi jurisprudence and you have teachers who you refer back to when there's matters which are unclear. I hope so, inshallah. <laughs> so I have been requested by viewers, listeners, friends and family alike who follow the Hanafi madhab mm-hmm. to ask you the following questions. Okay. You do not have to. So the questions are as such that all you need to tell me mm-hmm. is really there is a consensus in the school regarding this matter. Mm-hmm. There's a difference of opinion regarding this matter. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We ready? Oh, la adri, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> of course, that is that is the most. That is of course the third option. The scholar say knowledge of three types: Quran, Sunnah, and la adri. Okay. Quran, Sunnah, and I don't know. Fantastic. <laughs> Shall we proceed? Yes. All Hanafi madhab, mutamad positions, consensus positions, or genuine difference, or I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the distance to qualify as a traveller? It's a difference of opinion. Which is? 48 miles or 51. So 48 or 51. Yes, yes. Can someone break their fast at any time when they're a traveller during Ramadan? Yes. So they can break it any time? As long as... They cover the distance yes and, and and the destination there are less than 15 days okay yes can i ask you a sub question related to this yes is there a ruling that exists within the hanafi school that you have to set off before a particular time to constitute as a traveler in ramadan no okay yes. are prawns lobster and clam <laughs> permissible Depends how they're cooked. <laughs> Depends how they're cooked. <laughs> so it has to be well done. <laughs> so with prawns, uh, against difference of opinion. Okay. And that difference of opinion, it boils down to the definition of fish. Okay. Uh, the others, no, not in the Hanifi school. Lobster and clam not no, allowed? Not in the Hanifi school, no. Okay. So it's not even more Chris haram? Uh, uh, I think the word haram is, as I heard from my teacher, you need definitive evidence. Okay. And because there is... A difference of opinion amongst other uh, valid juristic schools like the Maliki school. Mm. So we just say it's not allowed. Okay, khas. haram is no worries. <laughs> mm. Does your wudu break if you nod off? So not yani lying down, going to bed, mm-hmm. but you could be sitting and you just nod off. Does your wudu yeah. break? So again, there's difference of opinion in here. Uh, the opinion that I'm more inclined towards is if a person is not leaning. 
or declining against anything and he's just sitting down and his uh, bottom is fixed mm. firmly on the earth or sea mm. then the wudu does not break okay um does your wudu break if you smile or laugh in salah not if you smile if you laugh depends how loud your laughter is uh, if you're per- the person next to you can hear you then yes both your salah and your wudu is invalid do hanafis have to recite fatiha and a surah behind the imam in jamaah no can hanafis do masa on on our socks uh, normal socks normal cotton socks no what can we do it on uh, leather socks or any socks which fulfill the conditions of a leather socks something to do with if the water seeps yeah. through yes yeah, so one is that they are able to walk a certain amount of Uh, uh, distance mm-hmm. number two they are thick in a way that water does not penetrate and number three they stick to the ankle by themselves without tying it okay um can we combine prayers when traveling according to the hanifi school no uh what constitutes as divorce so if a man was to say to his wife he's not intoxicated he could be angry uh he says talaq 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 Does that constitute as divorce? Yes, three. Done. Done. That three doesn't constitute as one. No. There's no period where that expires. No. The three words no. is done. No. Okay. Um, can we pray Asr in at the earlier time or combine prayers behind a non-Hanafi Imam in Jamaat? So if, let's say there's a brother who, who follows a Hanafi Madhab, he's traveling with a, a brother who are non-Hanafi, yeah. non-Hanafi and they are combining or they're praying the earlier missal of um, asr okay so now here i don't want to be, uh, be a spokesman of the, for the hanifi school uh, i'm just going to repeat or mention what i he- heard from my teachers so uh, with can i just say that what you adopt and yeah. what you've heard from you from your teachers yes. is sufficient for what we're asking yeah inshallah so i think even when the hanifi school when it comes to combining prayers uh, and the conditions for this so like i mentioned of the official position of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah who is the muassis the founder of the school you cannot combine the only combination he does allow is the ostensible combination uh, jama' suri so you pray dhuhr uh, in the end time of dhuhr and asr in the beginning time to right the end yes so it seems like you are combining apparently ostensibly mm. but there's no actual real combination okay now when it comes to actual combination you're playing dhuhr and asr in dhuhr or you're playing dhuhr and asr In Asr. in Asr. So Imam Munifah does not allow this. However, now, so if you ask the Syrian Hanifi scholars, for example, they will also say the default position is it's not allowed. However, if a person chooses to follow this opinion of combining prayers of Dhuhr Asr mm-hmm. in Dhuhr and Dhuhr Asr in Asr, for example, then they also have to consider the other condi- conditions of Wudu, etc. that according to the other schools. Okay. So they can't just... Uh, do wudu or do the other sharait and conditions of salah according to the Hanafi and then, and then pray then, as a non-Hanafi uh, yes ah, so so far so our mm. viewers and listeners what you're saying is mm. that if a Hanafi was to do this yes. he has to be consistent on the other things yes. uh, that precedes the prayer yes. so wudu and stuff like yeah. this this is called talfiq this is a talfiq uh, talfiq basically means where you are taking various opinions from other schools which is permissible according to many Hanafi jurists mm. but with the condition that you do a muraat meaning you consider the shara'it and the conditions of other schools okay yeah 
Okay. Um, does a wet dream break your fast? No, it doesn't. Uh, like, it, it, I have to ask this because only because I've heard this from my teachers. Is there a specific amount of the substance that come out, or is no. it just? I mean, uh, as far as I can remember, the books of fiqh clearly say, and this is not advisory or even recommended, but just a hypothetical scenario that if a person has a wet dream mm. and then they wake up in that state and remain in that state, albeit it's a sin, mm. but they remain in that state till Maghrib. Mm. Uh, the the first itself is valid. Okay. Yeah. Um, coming towards the end, can can two perspectives, so a, a Muslim man and a Muslim woman, mm-hmm. can two perspectives meet in a public place for the reason of discussing marriage, the woman without her mahram? So, the what is prohibited clearly, uh, um, not just in the madhab or in the hadith, is by the seclusion, uh, man and woman are the, on there. On. Uh, but if it's a place where there's no seclusion um, uh, in the sense that the illa, the, the reason of fitna is not there and it's a public place like you're mentioning, then uh, it may be permissible. But even then, mahram is strongly advised. Um, brothers and sisters uh, and listeners, I will add to that to what those stars said. This question was asked for a specific uh, legal reason. Yeah. And do not get excited. Um, yeah. It is strongly yeah. advisable that you, for the sisters to absolutely yeah. have the mahram or wali present, mm-hmm. uh, just because there may be a situation where maybe allowed the fitna is as such mm. that you can. We live in societies where you can do, you can have these issues and urges in public. See, yeah, yeah. especially in like the Qatar World Cup conversation, it's yeah. all about what you can and can't do in public. Yes, right. And we are as devout as we may think we are. We are children born and cultured in the West. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, there's not much difference between the public and the private in some of these issues. Would you yes. agree? Yes. Um, can a female get married without her wali's permission? So there's two things here. Is the valid? Uh, is the nikah valid? So we're talking about the veracity and the validity of nikah. And the other issue is whether she should do it or not. So whether she should or she shouldn't, she shouldn't clearly. But if she does do a nikah without a wali, yes, the nikah itself is valid. And I know a lot of uh, brothers and sisters who mm-hmm. are in the Muslim matrimonial service mm-hmm. um, that have actually highlighted that, look, you know, if you do adopt that position, mm-hmm. if you want to use our service, mm-hmm. you cannot adopt that position because it, because it could be problematic. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, That's good policy. Mm-hmm. Can Muslims in non-Muslim lands reside there, live there, have built their lives there, can they engage in riba contracts no is there a premise somewhere within the hanafi school that talks about and i don't want to go into it I, i'm just asking because it was requested to ask yes you, is there somewhere that says that in what is juristically discussed as uh darul harb or the land of the non-muslims i don't want anyone out there to be like oh they mean land of war we're talking about basically where the authority is not with the muslims in short to engage in, in contracts that do not subdue us but could be haram that the, where the muslims are not oppressed and subdued mm. but they can engage in these corrupt contracts no i mean the overwhelming opinion is not because um even those scholars who postulate that this might be as the uh, terminology you used uh, darul harb mm. Um, even the understanding amongst many of them is our understanding uh, of minorities here we are Musta'min we have taken Aman and refuge to settle here with the understanding that we are going to follow the law of the land Mm -hmm. and we are going to uh, 
uh, cooperate. So uh, in that context, no, it will be permissible okay. to engage in those transactions. Last question mm-hmm. of the quickfire. Mm-hmm. In the Hanafi school, mm-hmm. are we sinful for abandoning those acts that are sunnah muaqada and engaging in those acts which are considered makro tahrimi? Yes, I mean, yes, that's quite obvious. So you're, you're, you're abandoning Sunni Mu'akada. Meaning, so, so, so someone who regularly does not pray the 20 rakat away for the men, let's say, in masjid, mm-hmm. um, you know, regularly does not pray the sunnahs of the, of, of, of the prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who maybe, I don't know, what, what is considered makru tahrimi? Would you consider smoking cigarettes as makru tahrimi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, someone, so, so are, mm-hmm. are they sinful for these kind of things? Or is it a case of persistence? So, yeah, so I think there's two things. Uh, engaging in makru tahrimi, that has its own burden separate and uh, intentionally abandoning sunnah mu'akkada because sunnah mu'akkada by definition is that sunnah which the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa emphasized on meaning he hardly abandoned huh? unless there is a valid reason then there is no sin but generally speaking if it's done without any valid reason there will be some sort of sin as far as i understand it Jazakallah khairan for this Ayyakum little segment Allah. that we had. I, I, I thoroughly Ayyakum learned Allah. a lot. That's a good warm-up, I think. No, no, Jazakallah khairan. Um, staying on the topic of, uh, you know, knowledge and, and illness stuff. Um, I know you are still studying. Yes. And please let us know, what are, what are your current pursuits? What are you up to? So at the moment, I'm doing my PhD. MashaAllah. Uh, in God's transcendence. I'm concentrating on a particular figure from the Ashari school, Imam Sanusi, rahimahullah. Uh, who was from um, Maghrib, the wider Maghrib before. Is this, is this the Sheikh, may Allah mercy him, who people commonly know as the Sanusi Creed? The Sanusi Creed, yes. yes. He, he has a hierarchical creedal works okay. where he uh, wrote in different intervals of times, mm-hmm. targeting different audiences. Was he Hanafi? He was not, he was not Hanafi, no. Okay. Uh, one of the, the things that, uh, the differential you could say, or the thing that distinguishes Imam Sanusi from many of his contemporaries is, he believed he had this uh, doctrine or this view that you need to know you need to know evidences for what you believe in or you else need, otherwise you're in trouble basically so there's two views from uh, one view which is rejected uh, iman is not valid uh, but the view that he has and, and i and i think looking at his works this is the view that he held uh, you are sinful especially if you are able to learn the evidences if, if i may just ask you why would if, if and i'm asking purely because I, I, i'm curious yes. um why is it not sufficient for someone to believe in the six articles of faith the five pillars of islam the basic faraid um why is that not sufficient according to uh, sheikh sanusi i mean so imam abu hamid ghazali for example mm. uh, who came before 300 years approximately before imam sanusi he argued that's enough in his final work, Iljamul Awam, uh, which is a book where he's restraining the general public mm. from using dialectical theology, mm-hmm. or as we can call philosophy. Yep. So he says, you know, Iman, alaykum bidin al-ajaiz, follow the deen of the old women. And we might have experienced our grandmothers. Wallahi. They're so... Till this day, I asked my mother, yeah. I said, mom, um, you know, how do you know Allah exists? Yeah. And she will give me the most basic of examples. My mom has a habit of giving bread to pigeons. Yeah. yeah? 
And she would just she'd always relate things. Like, even my nani, may Allah have mercy, you know, they'll yeah. give you the most simplest of answers of, of Allah's yeah. existence. Yeah. So I can absolutely relate it's to like, that. It's just reminds me of the Arabi Bedouin when he was asked, Does mm. Allah exist? He said, Bewakuf Ahmak, <laughs> foolish person. What kind of question is of this? So Al Ba'tadullu al Ba'ir, if you see the droppings of a camel, yeah. you'll have this conviction and certitude that a camel has walked past. Yes. If you see the footprints of a person, you'll have this conviction a person has walked past. So, such a huge sky with no pillars, vast earth with many ways and roads, ocean hitting waves. This is all the lean. So, the point I'm trying to make is so, yes, so amongst the Ashari school, many scholars are with the opinion what you're saying is valid. But Imam Sunusi. Rahmatullahi alayhi, he had this concern that and he, he used verses of the Quran so fa'alam annahu la ilaha where Allah says fa'alam no that la ilaha illallah wastaghfir li dhambika walilum in surah Muhammad so he's the word ilm uh, is knowledge is based on knowledge and knowledge can only come where a person knows what they're believing in and, what, and why they're believing in otherwise it's serval conformism it's taqlid you're just following without knowing but isn't so, taqlid permissible for the muqallid for the awam no, who, who's not well versed in in uh, the sciences the languages that's required yeah so imam sunusi will say no not in aqidah okay because in aqidah you are believing in so, you can, so, so you can adopt from the school in terms of your fiqh but not in aqidah no, generally speaking no okay. so imam sunusi will tell you, you he discourages Akita. There's actually a thesis on this. Mm-hmm. As far as I, um, there's 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 a, there's a lady from Oxford. I think she's done her or she's doing her thesis on this particular issue: servile, servile conformism, or muqallid, or servile conformist, or blind follower. Why his, why is his iman not accepted like the others? So Imam Sunusi had this position, uh, but. Just to answer your question, Imam Sunusi, he believed that we need to know. We can't just you know, follow somebody else's iman. Mm-hmm. We, we uh, as individuals, we have to believe in Allah. I don't believe in Allah because my father believes in Allah. I believe in Allah because I'm a mu'min. Mm-hmm. And my faith and my iman is directly connected with Allah as a personal level. Yes. And, and I think this view can be employed in our in our 21st century uh, based on the context and based on who we... So like, to answer your question or to elaborate on your question our mothers mm-hmm. our grandparents I mean we don't need to trouble them with evidence Alhamdulillah they're fine and they're okay. content but now in universities where you have evolution on the rise doubts being planted atheism, doubts being planted yeah. I think there should be a system a syllabus where our aqaid are taught with basic Russian evidences do you touch upon the Sanusi creed in your PhD? so it's my entire, it's all about, it's my all about entire the creed. PhD is on this. And the trans and Allah's transcension is and is that to do with the, the creed of Yes, I'm just concentrating on the transcendence. Okay. Or you could say the ilahiyat, the godhood. Um uh, this uh, Imam Sunusi or his framework or his methodology is just a springboard for me to get into academia. Okay. Because in academia you need uh, two conditions, generally speaking, to get a PhD proposal accepted. Number one, it has to be a niche topic. Mm-hmm. It's very specific. And number yeah. two, it has to be novel. You know, you have to groundbreaking research, as yeah, they say. Yeah, yeah. It's not groundbreaking, but you know. Uh, it definitely, so, it's definitely yeah, niche to, it, some, to some extent. So yeah. Uh, and, and, and they also have this, uh, uh, this fascination for personalities for some reason. They're just like concentrating on personalities. So I thought I'll use Imam Sunusi 
uh, as my framework or as a modus operandi that I can I can use. But my long term, inshallah, volition and uh, intention is if Allah accepts, inshallah. I want this work to directly answer the question that is mentioned by many new atheists such as Christopher Hitchens and mm. Richard Dawkins that what evidence do you have what logical rational evidence do you have that the conceptualization or the mufhum the understanding of God in Islam is only logical and true understanding a Christianity they call towards a God based the exclusivity of our belief yes because we believe la ilaha illallah yes. clearly we repudiate and reject and rebuff every ilah except for Allah so and can you please tell us our viewers and listeners the verse uh, of the Quran where Allah actually tells us that Islam is here to dominate all, over all other religions yeah. what is that verse uh, well, the, um, <laughs> do you know I'm a half of the Quran yes oh, okay that's why you're asking me yes, of course that's why I asked you <laughs> 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 Embarrassing for both of us, and uh, we'd have to ask you. I'd have to ask my guests, guests <laughs> to do it. You know, sometimes when I know, don't know the verse, I just said to people, I'm just Ramzani Hafiz. Okay, <laughs> I only do in Ramzan. They are in Ramzan. I'm Ramzan I'm holiday, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this verse has come in many places in the Quran. The one that's coming to my mind now is, um, end of Surah Fatah, Walladi Arsala Rasulahu Bilhuda, Wadil Hakil Yudhirahu Aladini Kuli. Allah sent Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with the truth and with the deen so this deen can become dominant over all other deens even if the polytheists dislike this even if the disbelievers dislike this and this is about the ex exclusivity isn't yes it? it is yes because Allah is the only true understanding of, 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 of a God of a wajibul wujud rational uh, um, necessary, necessary being everything everything else Every understanding it leads to, a, as they mentioned in philosophy, a reductio ad absurdum. Mm -hmm. uh, reductio ad absurdum basically is the concept of a, a, a logical contradiction. You can't believe in such a, a being to be the ultimate or the nepus ultra creator of everything is impossible. What would your advice be, if any, for any pitfalls to avoid for senior tulab to go into Western secular academia because there are some very prominent examples I'm mm -hmm. not going to mention their names because mm -hmm. I don't want to make you feel awkward or I happily fire shots in the show all the yeah. time but there that's, are some that's why I slightly changed my position I thought <laughs> God help <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's, there's some prominent examples of those who have embarked on secular uh, academia mm -hmm. and for whatever reason Allah knows best it has uh, created no, I wouldn't say doubt, doubts for some if we talk about the likes of Osama Hassan and others, but there's others who are, who are still within the mainstream mm -hmm. uh, community that it's, it's, it's kind of made them question things which you would assume is, is, is a given. Meaning, mm. meaning, this this area of your religion should be unshakable, mm -hmm. but it's but you're having all these kind of questions and, mm -hmm. and conversations that would actually be more of a fitna to the masses. Mm -hmm. As an ex what would your advice be to yeah. senior tulab who want yeah. to pursue these yeah. secular? So the first thing I want to say is, it's utterly inconceivable that a person decides to go into academia with that environment and then expect that my views will not change or I will not be influenced. So there is an influence. Uh, some of it is good, some of it is bad. And I think it's the bad influence that we're talking about. Absolutely. I would say from my personal experience, and I'm still trying, is to have connection with your teachers or your local imam or your elders or somebody, mashallah, who you see as a role model in deen. If you don't have mashwara and shura consultation and you don't have guidance from people who are far more qualified, far more experienced, then there's 
great dangers. I mean, a mutual brother and friend of ours, mm. uh, Ustad Hamza. I mean, he said, look, you know, for some brothers, they'll go into studying philosophy mm -hmm. at a, a postgraduate level mm -hmm. and it makes them stronger in their belief. Because mm -hmm. you start actually yeah. understanding the bakwas and that uh, yeah, the, the, the actually is happening. But for yeah. others, it starts yeah. bringing in doubts and questions. Yeah, for me, yeah, a lot of the stuff in philosophy, for example, when I did my uh, postgraduate at Warwick, mm -hmm. is like we're stool with glitter on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's what it was. And I actually appreciate our scholarship ah, even more i mean there was one discussion uh, in the class uh, and, and and the discussion was regarding uh, the pros and cons so we were comparing and contrasting philosophy with the physical sciences chemistry biology yeah. etc yeah. so what are the pros and what are the cons so the entire discussion was on this and one of the positive things that came out of philosophy was uh, you don't have a fixed framework as long as you have an argument you can postulate or suggest your argument based on evidence you know you've got you're okay uh, conversely in physical sciences you need empirical evidence where you can touch where you, you can, can sense touch, where you tangible, can measure mushahada, yes. Tajirba, yes. Yeah, okay. yes. and then in the negative aspect of philosophy was that there's no boundaries so my the professor he posited and he said unfortunately we don't have a philosopher who's highlighted or even suggested potential boundaries for <laughs> philosophical acquisition. So I said, with all due respect, Professor, there was a, a 11th century theologian mm -hmm. uh, by the name of Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, and he has written a book, Al-Qistas al-Mustaqim. Al-Qistas al-Mustaqim, the balance scale, where he, the interlocutor uh, in that book at the Bataniya sect, yep. where he said, look, <laughs> he didn't say it like this, I'm just paraphrasing, you can use your aql all day, I'm going to use my aql all day, and we can differ. But we need a mizan, we need a criterion of reasoning where we all can agree on. And this criterion has to be established through necessity of the aql. Mm. So he was really intrigued. He said, yeah. I was like, yeah. So then he asked for more information and I give him more information. So I was really, I felt a sense of, I wouldn't say pride, but gratitude. And also, alhamdulillah, we, like again, Ustad Hamza says, we are resting on the shoulders of okay. giants. So, you know, yes. we have that in our deen. The only thing we need to do as students of knowledge um, is to contemporize, contextualize that work that's been done over a, th a thousand years ago and apply it in, in modern era. And you're currently an imam in Ellsbury, right? Yes. <laughs> and how have these pursuits helped you as an imam helping with issues relating to the shabab and, and your and your congregation members? Has it helped it? It has it helped me uh, immensely. I mean, so my in, un, undergraduate, part of my undergraduate was f psychology. So I think for the imam, uh, knowing some sort of psychology is important to read people's behavior and not to judge everybody with the same uh, criterion so that's helped me a lot able to understand where people are coming from mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, philosophy and other uh, topics that i've done uh, it's made me more careful Dili. i think mm. i'm more careful now when i say something mm. uh, opposed to maybe 10 years ago you know maybe this more. is the hack and that's it you know so that's firebrand yeah, now I'm thinking, wait, 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 you know, there, there might be a point. Okay. Obviously, we all have to have limits. We don't want to become like those academics where they hear Sari Kufan and say, mm, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Mm, no, so, no. <laughs> okay. so within the, obviously the framework of Sharia, mm. it makes you more tolerant in that sense. They also say that comes with age, of course, as well, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, no, 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 and, and as your network of friends within, within, the, within the circles of knowledge, mm. look, I'll be honest with you, from an activist point of view, mm. there was a time where 
it was either my way mm-hmm. or what I was told by my teachers at the time yeah, or completely the other the safe way. Sec, yeah. that's and, it. and the revival of the Ummah will only be like this and there cannot be remotely any other truth or legitimacy in other ways and other maslaks. Yeah. And then once you're actually spending time, yeah. your your network of teachers actually become a bit yeah. more diverse yes. in certain areas. Then yes. you start actually having a bit more appreciation. Then you realize, yeah. I think the more you study, the more you realize that you don't know anything and you need to be humble and the more and i think the more people you meet yeah, you w- within these circles <laughs> yeah. you actually start realizing yeah. that there's actually as they say the youth say there's yeah. the almost vast of course vast. and the shabab these days will say there's levels to this game yeah. so there's levels when you understand right <laughs> um staying still remaining on the topic of knowledge uh, and, and 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 these kind of engagements but now bringing it within more intra-muslim conversations mm-hmm. right um i know <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know recently you've been um, recently you've been putting up some uh, Facebook statuses. I've done the rounds. You've, I believe, you've made a video or two responding to uh, some uh, topical matters that have been mm-hmm. taking place. I don't want to go into the specifics. That's I've not brought you on to discuss the specifics. Yeah. I want to talk general frameworks. Right? Principle, yeah. Yeah. Intra-Sunni Muslim conversations mm-hmm. have been had for centuries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would say for nearly a millennia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I believe it's not going to stop anytime soon. No. Sheikh Aswar once said to me, mm-hmm. he said, look, some of these conversations are healthy because it keeps it keeps everyone on their toes. It mm-hmm. keeps everyone involved mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and aware of, of, of their positions. Mm-hmm. But he too said there is a time and a place, mm-hmm. right? Now, I know the time and a place varies amongst whoever you speak to and it's very subjective. Yes. <laughs> everyone can think that this is the time and the place to do it. Intra-Sunni Muslim polemics. Is there a time and place for it? Does it need to be had? Uh, what are the pitfalls that we should avoid? Because I see that the way you address some of the people of knowledge that you disagree with, you address them very respectfully. Mashallah, mm-hmm. tabarakallah. I've read, I've read all of your posts and I see how you are addressing people with respect. Mm-hmm. Ustad, Sheikh, mm-hmm. brother, you know, telling people not to backbite slander I, i've seen this mm-hmm. i'm i'm a witness to mm-hmm. what's happening on your page mm-hmm. um how, how how do how do we mm-hmm. and by we i'm talking about um ulama du'at students of knowledge how do we navigate this issue of intra-sunni polemics <sighs> i think it all salafi yeah. sufi mm-hmm. diabandi brelvi yeah. uh ash'ari maturudi and salafi i never hear athari in any of the debates by the way yeah. in, in all these videos <laughs> I, I will never hear athari it's always mm-hmm. it will nearly always be ahl sunnah and then whoever claims that title mm-hmm. and then it'll be usually from mm-hmm. the indo-pak mm-hmm. south asia Belvi Diobandi, Ahl Hadith versus the rest, mm-hmm. and it's a bit like a bit of a royal rumble between the three. Yeah. Uh, so, so is there a time and place yeah. for this? Uh, if yeah. so, if so, what is the framework yeah. for it? Yeah. So there is time and place, and I think the whole discussion should be concentrated on the method. I think the method is what is destroying everything. Okay. So, uh, and uh, even I am also a guilty, and uh, I, I have many, many. Uh, mistakes and sins on my head because of this I think the polemical discourse on social media at the moment as we are seeing is doing a disservice to Islam I actually believe that I might get but there's t- but there's times where you've praised that same discourse uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Next time. I've done all sorts so that's why don't take me as evidence and you participate and I'm saying this directly to the camera <laughs> anybody wants to follow a path follow the path of those who have died because the one who is alive, he's not free from fitna. Uh, 
Imam Ghazali Rahmatullahi has mentioned he has an entire section in his Ihya on Afatul Munawar, the calamities of debate. And in his Al-Iqtisad Fil-Aitiqad, Moderation to Believe, he has mentioned four categories of people that we should give da'wah to or in polemical discourse. And one of those categories he's mentioned where majority of the people, they don't really know what's going on, they're confused. But because the person who is debating their leader, so for example, I'm debating Dave, right? Dave has got a following of million people. Mm. His million people followers, most of them, they don't really know what Islam is. Mm-hmm. But because my tone towards Dave is patronizing, is condescending, yes, and I'm treating him as like a worthless opponent, what happens is they sympathize towards him. As opposed to Islam. Yes, and, and, and the they are now further distant from Islam. Why? Because they're following Dave. So this is one of the biggest fears that I have, and I think we should all have, regarding social media. That that person that you just described in that hypothetical situation that Imam Ghazali said, um, is he talking about a non-Muslim or Muslim? Anybody. Anybody. And non-Muslim especially. Jordan Peterson included. <laughs> Look, the thing is, if when we were giving da'wah, one of the principles or the usul of da'wah is... We I look say that at, because you posted a picture yeah, yeah, praising yeah. the engagement and literally a week, 10 days later, he was storing Masjid al-Aqsa with Zionists yeah. and then meeting Benjamin Netanyahu for dinner. Did I praise the engagement? Uh, oh, you, 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 you made du'a for his guidance. Yeah, that's fine, isn't it? Uh, and you attended... Musa al-Islam made du'a for Firon's guidance. True, true. And he, yeah. he also warned him and, and, and he also got blasted as well. Yeah, so he was also warned too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so this is the thing. When, when, when we're giving dawah to our interlocutor, one thing that we need to uh, look at and consider, because it's part of the dawah, it's part of the principles, is the mafasid and the masalih, mm-hmm. the benefits and the harms, and how we approach giving dawah in that circumstance. If I give dawah to an individual, and it's quite clear uh, that post debate or post that where the, the non-Muslims are even more fired and the more the more insulting towards Islam. What does that mean? It's just counterproductive, isn't it? Counterproductive. So going back to your yes, there is a time and place for intra-Sunni or intra-Islam Muslim uh, polemics or the discussions. There's a time and place, but that has to be nav- navigated. It has to be monitored. It has to be controlled. Those people who are involved, they need to have a sh- somebody who they can take guidance from. They need to do istikhara every time they put video out. They need to do istikhara every time they write a post. You know, this is what is needed. Is there a healthy brotherly way of discussing theology and creed? Yes. And the attributes of Allah, Zawajal, Asma wa Sifat and these things within a brotherly framework? Yes, I believe so. Definitely. Yeah? Yes, I've done it myself. It might not be public, but privately I have. Okay. So, 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 so just, just to mention, sorry, you know, even the Ashaira Maturidiyah, who are now considered as the two valid schools of uh, Ahlul Sunnah. Yeah. So some scholars, they, they explain the... Half of the Atharis would also be part yeah. of that category. No, yes. but, but, but I'm talking about in terms of Ilmul Kalam. Yes, yes. In yes. terms of theological, yes, yes, uh, theoretical mm. uh, debate, these are Ahlul Sunnah. Athar are more to do with the traditional script. Yes. So, so scholars explain the progression of these two schools, how they started. Uh, so even in the initial stages that Maturi there, they were not very fond of the Ashaira. Some and some texts within the Maturidiyah of Rafiq, uh, like for example, Abu Mu'in and Asafi, it postulates that they're not even from Ahlul Sunnah. 
Wow. Right? Many s- students might not know this. However, and, 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 and Imam Fakhuddin Razi, rahmatullahi alayhi, he has a large contribution in this when he traveled to Mawara and Nahar and those areas, you know, uh, Transoxomania and these areas, Bukhara and And then he actually discussed and debated and had a dialogue with the Maturidiyya scholars. Mm-hmm. What happened? That it, it built a bridge. The differences were there, but there was more tafahum, mutual understanding. So the biggest benefit of this is that even if you don't agree with your interlocutor and you reject his view, at least you have an understanding of where they're coming from. And I believe this, this is the first step towards, you know, having a better environment. Do you think the same could be applied to the Indo-Pak Bangladesh uh, discourse between the Abundis and Brelvis? Do you think that could be harmonized in some way? Yeah. I mean, because you've seen in certain instances where the various groups are holding lands, uh, mm. hands uh, in, 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 in the South Asia. So whenever the Prophet is insulted or attacked, um, whenever there's cartoons, on certain issues, you, you'll find, yeah. you, you know, there is some level of unification, but there is also near mass excommunication that also is very common with that discourse. Are you saying that that conversation can also be had in a healthy way? between Barelvis and Diobandis, or what's commonly perceived as Barelvis and Diobandis? It can, yeah. I, I believe so. And that's why one of the scholars said that the moderates between two groups, they can get on with each other more than the moderate and the extreme from one group. Okay. So we have to have like-minded people who are willing to have that discussion. Would it be fair to say that both those groups um, are Hanafi? Yes. They are uh, Maturidi? Yes, in Fikifi, yes. Yes. Okay. Do you think that's enough to have I think that? That's, I think that's in. I mean, the biggest common factor is that we're Muslims. That's where we should start from. But the di- but, but, but the mm. difference lies in those things. It does, yeah. But, I'm just, as if, uh, but you're correct. That, that, that is mm. that is how it should be. But it's, the reality yeah. is that it yeah. is not that. Yeah. The very reality is that there are some sadly within various camps yeah. that will literally excommunicate yeah. the other. And there's a lot of social pre- pressure. And I say this as I've experienced this. There are moderate. Uh, clerics or students of knowledge that want for this to work, but they fear backlash from people that you know. Okay. Basically, you know, of the manhaj. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, and, and I can uh, echo that um, yeah. in terms of my engagement with uh, some uh, Barelvi, uh, Diobandi ulama. Uh, you know, privately, there certain conversations can take place. They can, yeah. But as soon as it becomes public, you know, there's problems yeah. for them, yeah. which, is, which is very unfortunate, actually. Yeah. I mean, it should be done public because mm. that will diffuse the situation. 100%. If reputable, notable figures from each camp mm. are able to come together and demonstrate by example to the people that, look, we can discuss and this is how it's done, that will diffuse the situation. And those ignorant students who like to put fuel to the yes. fire, they will automatically come, come back. So it's actually interesting that when it does come to issues less let's say to do with Palestine, whenever mm-hmm. it is uh, attacked, mm-hmm. it's attacked every day. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it, when Gaza is being bombed and so mm-hmm. forth, we can put those differences aside and we can put out joint statements and there seems to be a unified front in attending events and protests and so forth. Same with prevent. Mm-hmm. Same with, to, to, to a good extent, the LGBT issue, RSC bill in schools. So, there's, mm-hmm. there's, so there's, what that shows is that we are able to unite yes. on various issues, yes. which are as a result of our political reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Why is the other harder on those issues pertaining to our actual deen? Because I think those things are also linked yeah, to our deen, yeah. of course, because it's, yeah. it's, it's part of the, yeah. the, the state of the Omanis affairs. Yeah. But I think it's a question of identity. 
we define ourselves or we identify ourselves because of those differences. So my identity, for example, I'm a Maturidi, a Hanafi, for example. And so if I believe this to be my identity and this what differentiates me, now if I'm going to collaborate with somebody else, it's almost I'm compromising my identity. So that's why the thing comes. Of course. So, I, polit- uh, siyasa and politics is part of the deen. But many people don't perceive it as that. They think this is politics is for our general well-being. Mm. Whereas when religious discourse is about my deen, is about who I am and what I stand for. And that's why the challenge is there more, I think. Uh, and, and I do believe this is actually a type of self-secularization. Yeah. What do you think of the answer? No, no, I agree with you. Yeah. 100%. Mm. The re- no, no, I think it's a great answer. Yeah. But if, if, I, if I see myself as uh, Sunni, Mm-hmm. He, you're going to find and, and, and consistently Sunni I've met brothers like this that I have, they, they don't get involved in the intra-Sunni stuff mm-hmm. but with the Shia they're there t- 11 out of 10 ready yeah, to take <laughs> anyone out yeah and that's 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 what so you know it makes it hard for them them to engage with anything with the Shia and there could be certain common issues mm-hmm. yeah Islamophobia affects both the Sunni and the Shia yeah, yeah. those who attack our masajid don't say oh this is a Shia mosque and this mm-hmm. is you know there's been called the only mosques and um, temples that have been attacked mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. so the one trying to say is that in that regard, there are some that when they define themselves in a way, mm. they've actually created their own obstacles yes. for engagement. Because mm. you see yourself as such, mm. so you've created such red lines and obstacles that you won't compromise on those issues mm-hmm. or just let those things aside for a greater yeah. issue. So I, I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. It, I definitely. think uh, it's very important that we stress uh, and we clarify at this, at this juncture that what we, what we mean by unity here is that we don't compromise in what we believe in, in what we practice in. Mm. Unity, and correct me please, uh, Dili, if I'm wrong here, what I understand from the notion or the concept of unity is able to work together on common issues, especially Sorry. despite our differences. 100%. This is what I understand, is that correct? My teacher is taqwa and bir, yes. and then on issues to always to prevent a greater evil and harm. Yes. Always to prevent a greater evil and harm. Yes. And the taking away of our children, mm. the massacre and the genocide and the oppression of the Muslims in the West and in the mm. East, mm-hmm. uh, things pertaining to our children's Iman, mm. uh, the illegal occupation of Muslim lands, yeah, yeah. Um, nearly all is Trump's. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, you know, your son is not going to come home tomorrow and saying, Abu, I've become a Barelvi of Dibandi. 100%. The challenges that we're facing now is your son's going to come and say, I feel like a girl. Absolutely. And my teacher told me that you can become a girl. Yeah. And, they, and it's okay to act on my impulses and be a Muslim. Which is, which is what is happening. And that's happening. Yeah. We, just very recently, at the time of the recording of this podcast, we had an incident in Wednesbury in the mm-hmm. Midlands where someone who identifies as a gay Muslim activist was telling children that I read the Quran and there's nothing to say that acting upon homosexuality and homosexual urges is sinful. Kufar. It's a kufar. And, the, and, the, and the, mashallah, the, the pupils pulled him up on it. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, there's, there's a young sister that said, TK, you do that. Yeah. Don't tell us to do yeah. that. It's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's, so that's, that's, that's indignation of iman. So so now, so, so if, if we were to now look at some of these issues, mm-hmm. and let's say there is a student of knowledge or someone in the online DAO scene, content creators, because that's what we're primarily addressing here. Mm-hmm. If they had to make a piece of content, mm-hmm. what would be a bigger priority in this regard? That the Ashiris and the Maturis don't believe in the 99 attributes of Allah, or that this p- specific incident happened in a school and we should actually be helping our children uh, and equip them with the correct tarbiyah and ideas. Yeah. In terms of a priority, where, where do you think? The latter. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> wh- when is the time to have the conversations in? 
when is the time to talk about Mawlid, um, 20v8 uh, for, for the raqaz, um, the, the, the attributes of Allah Azawajal, where is Allah, what is the time and place? If, if, there is, if there is a time and place, what is the time and place? I mean, the question we should first ask, have there been any discussions on this? Yes, they have. for centuries. They have, and even recently we've had so many discussions. I personally believe if we see as students of knowledge uh, any confusion about any of these masail, put our positive message there, mm-hmm. explaining your position with evidences and khalas. That's it, done. Job done. Job done, yeah. Move on now. Okay. The problem what happens here is, and it's happened to me the too. The to and fro. Yeah. The to and fro. That's it. And sometimes those <laughs> things, the, the, sometimes those things do become an issue of ego. Yeah, yeah, ego. Who gets the last word? Yeah. Who gets the last say? Yeah, it's ego. Mm. Yeah. Bringing the podcast to a close, um, and now kind of moving towards uh, an issue that you touched upon, and that is which Imam Ghazali said in terms of the categories of people who you give that hour to engage with, <laughs> and to engage, and you gave that anecdotal example of mm. if someone has many many followers, yeah. you are dishonourable and disrespectful to that person. Mm. You could actually dissuade his followers yeah, from yeah. from coming closer to Islam. You to clarify, Jalid, that example is not in the book. No, no, it's not. It was, yeah. an, it was an anecdotal example yeah, that anecdotal, you gave. Yeah, just hypothetically. Yes. So there's been two prominent engagements uh, that's been uh, very topical amongst Muslims online and offline. Um, and that is uh, the two interviews on podcasts that our brother Mohammed Hijab did yes. uh, with uh, the very well-known Canadian uh, psychologist Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, uh, who I believe is actually now part of uh, a, a very well-known American right-wing neocon th- news outlet. I forgot what they're called. With the other gentleman, the names passed my mind. And then, of course, there was the uh, reversion or conversion of our brother Andrew Tate. Okay. Uh, may Allah accept it from him, make Ameen. it easy for him. I mean, Ameen. let's talk quickly, just be from the Jordan Peterson one. You attended that engagement. Yes, I did. Um, did you manage to speak with him? I did, yes. And how did you find uh, Dr. Peterson? Because we saw the on-camera engagement. Yeah. Um, how was the, the off-camera engagement? So the off-camera engagement, I didn't speak, to, uh, although I sat on the same table, it was about four or five of us, including mm. Muhammad Hijab, etc. Mm. I didn't speak uh, as much, I didn't speak much to him. And the reason I didn't do that, because he already had an hour or so conversation with mm. Muhammad Hijab. So I just didn't want to push that line. And uh, to be, I don't know, I think he's confused. Mm-hmm. That's why I believe uh, he's intellectual in his field, but he's confused. And and the reason why I say he's confused is there was one point in the in the engagement where I thought, you know, and the, and the verse of the Quran came to my mind: "Inna kalla ahman Allah You can't guide who you love; Allah guides whoever. Absolutely. And that was that point. I think that clip went viral afterwards, and that's the point I stood up and went to the wudu. And I thought, forget this. You know, this is ajib. Well, was this the way where he said, "What is God? What, what is, is you? Belief? What is you?" Till now he was asserting with confidence, psychological, this research, psychological, that research. And a basic question, now he's become a radical skeptic. Mm. You know, it's called uh, selective skepticism. Mm. What do you mean by you? Yeah. Because that could be applied to everything, right? Yeah, so then I, re- yeah, then I realize where this is not even an intellectual issue. This is something else. Something deeper. And let's just, yeah, let's just stop now. Okay. You know, because you don't want to push a person even more. Because uh, there was one part where Muhammad Hijab, I think, asked him that, you know, if I give you evidence regarding the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, conclusive evidence, yeah. would you become a Muslim or something? Yes. And I think he said no. He, yeah, he said no. Yeah, he said no yeah. And then he broke down the sentence. Yeah. So what, where where is all those moral values of accepting the truth and all that? You know, all that discourse. So I realized that. Wait a minute, it's thingy. 
so I found him to be in my personal engagement. He was quite humble. He was mm. quite humble. He was listening to you know what, you, what, what, what we had to say to him. But like I said, he's got some other baggage which I don't know. I mean, he may be need he may need a psychologist to diagnose yeah 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 Um, you know, yes, you praised the engagement you yeah, did, and yeah. you made the offer his guidance. I'm sorry, I corrected myself. Yeah. Um, how did you feel? Did you, did you? How did you feel personally uh, when you saw him in Al Aqsa with uh, Israeli security? Got it. Yeah. I thought, oh my God, what's happened? <laughs> and then, and then, and, 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 then a, and then a week or two weeks later, him having lunch with Netanyahu. I thought, la illallah. You know, I think what's happened, but this happened after the engagement. Yeah, I think that, a month yeah, after, yeah, it, happened, and yeah, it happened after. It happened after, yes. And then, but the reality is, um, he doesn't have any loyalty to it or Islam or Muslim. We've seen a lot of Muslim countries that are doing this now. So no, no, it's important to ask it because I'm not justifying his thing. But it, I felt completely gutted, and I thought, oh no, you know. How do I, you know, even the re- the, the the reason why I ask you this yeah. is because is just to kind of recalibrate our line, but yeah, yeah, because there will be m- many Muslims out there that think, mm. no, we do follow Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. and we do, and you just need to look at the comment section. Maybe not now because of how he dealt with that or didn't deal with that question mm. when our brother Hijab posed it to yeah. him. Yes, that mm-hmm. was a massive eye opener for many. Yeah, but you will literally still find many people who yeah. defend uh, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. So, so, so all I'm asking because. How you felt? Because he was literally with security, yeah. Israeli security guards coming into Al Aqsa. Yeah, I felt. Yeah. Honest, I felt gutted. I mm. thought, oh my God, what's what's he doing? You know, Ilallahil Mushtaka. And the next, and the next one, <laughs> and, and, and and we'll we'll bring the close my podcast to a close because it's another uh, topic which you've commented on, and that is the conversion of, I would still describe me as a controversial social media influencer, uh, an entrepreneur, Andrew Tate, uh, former uh, kickboxing world champion three times, became Muslim. And there was a lot of online uh, blowback with regards to, oh, because he's become Muslim, we're not now supposed to give him a free pass on the things that he's done in the past. Can <laughs> you just can you can you just clarify? Let's put Andrew Tate aside. What is the approach to a famous, prominent person who becomes Muslim and is publicly known for things that he or she may have done in the past? Uh, in a very pu- in a very public way mm. that are very haram. What what is how do we how do we man- how do we approach this? Accept them with open arms, without being judgmental, and help them and, and build a connection with them and teach them the deen. What we need to understand with the Delhi is, and and I saw some of these comments. Uh, people were acting God. No, mm. is he sincere? I mean, how do you know you're sincere? <laughs> Is there's a ta'aliq uh, narration in Bukhari that only a true believer fears nifaq and hypocrisy. We all should be in fear, uh, whether we're hypocrites or yeah. not. Whether we're, we're our own sincerity. Yeah. And doesn't matter how strong the clues are around that person, suggesting otherwise we are still not allowed to give a judgment other than that he's a mu'min. For example, mm. so and this this is a very strong example from the seerah and from Bukhari Muslim and many other hadith, Usama bin Zayd radiallahu ta'ala an. He's in the battlefield. He's mentioning this story. I have an Ansari Sahabi with me, and we see the enemy, one enemy. Just imagine this. Let's just visualize this as we're in that place. We see this person. He's your enemy. He's there to kill you. He's there to kill your friends. He doesn't like you, Sorry. and you've seen it. He's killing people. 
So Osama bin Zaid, uh, Osama, uh, Osama said, I, I saw this opportunity, got perfect opportunity, so I was about to kill him. I lifted my sword. As soon as he saw me lifting my sword, he said, La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. I killed him anyway. This incident was taken to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is actually a very well-known story, actually. Very well-known story. It's in Bukhari yes, Muslim, yes. in books of the Hadith. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, Oh, Osama, what have you done? He said, Ya Rasulullah, he said muta'awwidhan, to seek refuge. Or in one narration, he said it out of fear. So Prophet sallallahu wasallam said, Afala shiqaqta an qalbi? Why didn't you open his heart and see whether he was saying it with this intention? And the Prophet kept on repeating this. Why didn't you cut his heart open to see? Also, he didn't say it once. No, it comes in one hadith. The Prophet uh, he continually, perpetually mentioned this. So, to such an extent that Usama said, I wish the man to the words that I, I wished dead. I did not accept Islam before this. Yeah, yeah. Allahu Akbar. And look, I mean, there's so much evidence he was killing your friends, he was in the battlefield. It was so obvious you lifted your sword and he just said it because... But even at that time, you are not allowed to make that decision. SubhanAllah. So who... This is, and this is where we need to educate the Muslims. We need to educate the Muslims. Hold your fingers on your keyboard or your phone. And when the hadith mentions all the past sins are forgiven, when Allah's mentioned the person has a clean slate, who are me and you to even talk about his past? I believe bringing his past up is, is, is a very bad thing. Again, I mm. don't want to make this about our brother Andrew, but he was a topical example because it was something that we had that we had mm. to deal with and you addressed. Mm. So it's just staying on the issue of <clears throat> prominent celebrity, people with millions, if not tens of millions of followers. Mm. We, we accept their shahada, we welcome them with open arms. Um, but I mean, accept the shahada. I mean, we accept them as our brothers or sisters. Yes, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. What then if said person persists in publicly engaging in certain haram things? They have to be advised. Because what we have to remember, their, 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 the background that they've come from, mm -hmm. or the lifestyle that they've come from, it'll be difficult for them, psychologically speaking, to give all this up in one day. You know, they're leaving behind entirely. Some do it, the most don't. Yes. The so vast majority of humans don't operate yeah. in that. And what we tend to forget in these uh, in these discussions is, and this is a, a, a reductionist approach, and it's not a good approach, where we reduce a human just to intellect and aql. That, that's he's become Muslim, he understands this is the truth, finish. No. There's a huge part of us which is emotional, psychological. Yeah. And the Prophet Ali Wasallam understood this. Mm -hmm. This is why he comes in hadith. That he said to the Sahaba, when you speak to them and you instruct them of things, do it on their level. Do you want them to falsify Allah and Rasul? Do you want them to reject? Because it's too, it's too difficult for me. And I mean, in my masjid once, we had this case. And it was a new Muslim, it was a few years ago. And he came to me and was really down and disquieted. He said to me, Sheikh, you know, I've been told that I have to change my name and get circumcision done. Khatna. <laughs> Okay, well, what? I was thinking, is my the ummah? These are the only two things they remember, <laughs> and change your name out of the many other things. So it's a gradual process, especially new Muslims. They're like a newborn baby. We say to them, "You are like a newborn oh, baby." Right. Now, now treat them like that, slowly, slowly, one thing at a time. You know, they throw everything in. Uh, and just two weeks ago, <laughs> just two weeks ago, I had a new Muslim come to my library. I said, Sheikh, I'm confused. I'm on the verge of leaving Islam again. I said, I said, why? 
So one person said to me, you're a wobbler, you just celebrate Mawlid. Oh, good Lord. I said, what's that? He said to me, what's that? I said, no, it's not. He goes, what is this? They're calling me, I'm a wobbler, I don't celebrate Mawlid, therefore I'm not a proper Muslim. Just, and he was into Islam, what, like a week? One week? Yes, literally, one, this is a true story which I saw in my own eyes. That's one right. week into Islam, and our Muslim, mashallah, may Allah give them hidayah and give us hidayah. I mean, they're saying, you're not on the proper path. New Muslim, he doesn't know anything. His entire family is not Muslim. And he's, and he's, and he's getting uh, uh, excommunicated. And he said himself, he said he was on the verge of leaving Islam because of this. I said, no, 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 no. Yeah. I told him, don't worry about any of this. You don't worry. You know, six articles of faith. Of course. Alhamdulillah, but you stick to this. Yeah. Slowly, you build your connection with Allah. You, uh, he says, how do I deal with my parents? I said, you don't give them any da'wah about Islam. You show them Islam. You smile at them. You do their khidmah. You live it. You live it. You press your mother's feet. You start pressing your mother's feet. It was non-Muslim from a white background. Especially when it's never been pressed no, before. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I've never had this service yeah, in my yeah. life. Allah subhanahu Yes. And then they'll ask you, why are you doing this? Oh, this is what our deen teaches you. Mm. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what then do we say of, let's say, and, and of course it is in relation to Andrew Tate, but this could apply to Sinead O'Connor, it could apply to Mike Tyson, it could apply to many people. It could mm -hmm. apply to many people currently and many people in the future mm -hmm. um, where certain things have been said, positions have been made, your followers have adopted those positions, your millions and millions of followers have adopted that position, believe you to be correct in a specific given matter, which is un-Islamic or haram. Is there a requirement from the said prominent celebrity new Muslim to clarify these positions? Yes, it is. It's a requirement, especially if it's done publicly. Because yes. the harm is done publicly, therefore the rectification, the islah has to be done publicly. As much as they can, of course, with tawbah and istighfar. InshaAllah. Mm -hmm. um, this is the end of the podcast. Jazakumullah. How did you find it? Alhamdulillah. To be honest, I was somewhat uh, nervous when I came here. Because yeah. I've seen some of your, mashallah, <laughs> I thought, no, this guy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I hope he takes it easy on me. <laughs> This is no, 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 Alhamdulillah. No, I, thought, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And if there, if there were any questions or comments that made you uncomfortable, no, no, Alhamdulillah. You've actually, mashallah, it was a pleasure. No, no, it was a very good experience. Allah bless you. Brothers and sisters, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed and benefited from today's podcast as much as I did. Um, if you liked it, leave a comment, uh, subscribe to the Five Players YouTube channel, and of course, for the avid podcast listeners, you can find this episode on all the major platforms. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.